But growing up, I was always interested in having a pen pal. You know, someone who you correspond with, someone who you have strictly a written interaction with. I always thought that this would be an intriguing thing to, to do, just to have a pen pal, pen pal and see what that was like. But you know, as I've grown older, I've found that I probably wouldn't be the best person at writing back. Uh, just looking at, at what all, all of this is just looking at, at being, having a pen pal is just a lot of work having to think through what you're going to say, what you're going to, what you're going to do, uh, but also uh, my handwriting. Uh, if some of you have seen my handwriting, it's on par with a third grader. So. <laughs> so it's just a lot of things that, that I don't want to do uh, as far as having a pen pal. In fact, I've actually received a pen pal who just started writing me this, this, within the last three months. He's written me three letters, uh, one of which was a six-page, single-space letter, and I have yet to respond to any of them. Sorry about that. <laughs> but when I, when I look at the response, I could say that I'm busy. I've got too much going on. I could say that I don't really know what to say. I don't know how to respond to someone in this letter. I could also say, you know, I'm ashamed of my handwriting, and I don't really want to put that out there. But here's the reality. I don't want to take the time to invest in growing in writing. I don't want to take the time to become someone who's proficient in writing. But how many of us approach prayer the same way I approach a pen pal? We look at the idea of prayer, and we, we like the idea of prayer. We want to pray. We, we may find ourselves praying over our meal occasionally. We may find ourselves praying about five seconds here or there. But most of us will probably look and see that we are deficient in the area of prayer. But here's the comforting thing. Last week, Pastor Kevin said that the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what Jesus did was he pointed them back to this passage, Matthew 6, and showed, gave them a manual and a template for prayer. Even with this manual and template for prayer, I'll be the first to confess that I still struggle with the idea of prayer. I've gone to Bible college and I've learned a lot about, uh, about the Bible, but I still am challenged with where do I start? When do I pray? How do I pray? And so seeing that we are just like the disciples has been a great comfort to me. But one thing that Kevin said a few months ago in one of his sermons that has been challenged me, he said, if the Lord were to answer all of your prayers, how would the world be different? And for me, that was just challenging me because I tend to see my own life as, as praying for my needs. And I, I pray for my own concerns or I pray for my family, which are good things to pray for, but I don't always find myself praying for the world. <clears throat> I love what Ian Bowne said. He wrote two books almost 200 years ago, um, The Necessity of Prayer and The Power of Prayer. And so these books have been fundamental in me in, in understanding what prayer is. He says this, he says, nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer is the one infallible mark and test of being a Christian. It's 
So what bounds is saying is that we are, uh, our, the prayer, our prayers is to signify that we belong to Christ. And so, again, we'll, we'll, we're going to be continuing this, this, this passage where we are looking at the Lord's Prayer. And last week, Kevin focused on the first three uh, petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And if you haven't listened to that sermon yet, you can actually find it on our website. And so I recommend that you go and you listen to that sermon first, and you can come back and listen to this one, even though you're listening to it now. But we see that Pastor Kevin focused on, on the first three petitions. <clears throat> he said that we first need to recognize God as our loving Father, our Father who is in heaven. And he, he talked a lot about how God is our heavenly Father and desires good for us. But he also taught us that the Lord's Prayer teaches us that God is holy. Hallowed be your name. And so that God is, is holy. God is, is beyond us. And so looking at the character of God in the Lord's Prayer. And the second petition teaches us to pursue, pursue God's kingdom. Seek or your kingdom come. And then the third petition teaches us that the Lord's will be done in our lives. And, and Pastor Kevin said that this is the most difficult and the most terrifying petition because we have to get out of the way for the Lord to work. And so one of the things that Pastor Kevin told us last week is that our Christian prayers are unique, not because of what we pray, but because of who we pray to. Christian prayer is unique in that, in that we are praying to the sovereign God. And so he also said this. He said, effective prayer recognizes who God is, seeks his will, and displays our dependence on him. So this week, we're going to be specifically looking at how effective prayer displays our dependence on God. And that's where we're picking up today. So if you have your Bibles handy, we're going to go ahead and read our passage this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you have forgiven others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can come to you, that we can come to know you, that you have made yourself known to us, that we can pray to you. God, I thank you that you are not distant, that you are not far away from us. But I, think, I pray that we would be able to I've come to know you through this passage. We come to see how you aren't just deserving of our worship, but that you also are in, interested in our lives. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we uh, come to know more about you. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So as we approach this passage, the first thing we need to recognize is that effective prayer is dependent on God's provision. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And doesn't it seem odd that immediately after we are praying these high characteristics about God, we're looking at, at the holiness of God. We're looking at, at God's 
father or God's characteristics of being a father. We're pursuing his will. We're pursuing his kingdom. And then Jesus commands us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Almost seems it doesn't fit. Um, But doesn't it seem even more odd that Jesus would command us to pray for our, our our, our daily bread? You see, at the heart of this petition, Jesus is teaching us something very fundamental about the character of God. He's teaching us to be wholly dependent on God's provision. He's teaching us to to come before God, the almighty God, sovereign creator, and ask for our daily bread. You see, God invites us to pray for our basic physical needs. That almost seems a little blasphemous. But you see that all throughout Scripture, we see that God continually provides the basic essentials for his children. Jesus, no doubt, is, is thinking of the story of, in Exodus where the people in Israel are, are wandering through the desert and they're complaining and they're backbiting and the Lord provides manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And so Jesus is, is telling us, be like the Israelites, be dependent on the manna from heaven. And so God is continually providing the basic needs for his children. Look back at Matthew 6, 8, which says, do not be like them. Of course, he's referring to the the Pharisees and the pagans who, who pray, as we saw earlier in Matthew 6. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So before we even open our mouths, before we even open our hearts, God knows what our needs are. So it raises the question, why do we pray? If God knows all things, isn't he just going to provide for me? You see, we pray because God sends himself into our lives. We can see his handiwork in our lives. We pray so that we, our eyes will be open to the ways that the Lord is working in our lives. But we also pray because we don't always know our needs. In my own life, I thought that I needed to go to Multnomah Bible College. That didn't happen. I thought that I needed to have a job as soon as I graduated from school. That didn't happen. I thought that I needed to marry a specific person. But that didn't happen. But we can look at our lives and we can always think what we, what we think we need But God, as our Heavenly Father, knows our needs more than we do. And so, at the heart of this, God is is calling us to be dependent on Him for all things. But how many of us are truly dependent right now on God for our next meal? If we were to examine ourselves, we would probably see that most of us in this room may have never experienced that before. And so you may be asking yourself, where is God in my life? If I'm providing for myself, if I'm doing all of these things, um, we, we can see that, we can sometimes ask, where's God in my life? You know, we provide for our family. We bring home our paychecks so that we can have food for our family for weeks. We save for the future so that we can uh, we can." We can retire well. 
We provide the essentials for our families. And so we can sometimes get in this we mindset or I mindset where I'm looking and I'm looking at my life and I'm saying this is all because of my own handiwork. You see, a dependence on God isn't just that we are are providing for ourselves for the future, but a dependence on God is, is that we are depending on him for our basic needs today. Jesus isn't prohibiting that we save for the future. Jesus isn't prohibiting that we think long term. But Jesus is calling us to do something very basic. He's calling us to be dependent on God. What is wrong is for us to make a goal of total independence, right? From a a young age, we are taught that we are to, to provide for ourselves, work for ourselves, and do all of these great things for ourselves. But we fail to recognize that one of the primary ways that we can see God's handiwork in our lives is an attitude of thankfulness. This attitude of thankfulness allows us to stop and see, uh, to thank God for the job that we've been given. We are allowed, we, we can stop and we can thank God for the friends that have been placed in our lives at key moments through, through crises. We can stop and we can thank God for, for all of the things in our lives. But dependence on God underscores a dependence on God's provision. Not on our own. You see, depending on God displays a continual and a consistent time depending on, our, on God to meet our needs daily. And we depend on God now for the, because we don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. We don't know what's going to happen to the stock market. We don't know what's going to happen to our jobs. We don't know what's going to happen to our houses. And so God is calling us to to be dependent on him, not just for today, but for tomorrow. Just to come to him daily and to, and just to, to pray, Lord, give me what I need today. You see, in praying, God, give us this day our daily bread, God also invites us to bring everything to him in prayer, not just our needs, not just what we are concerned about, but he's inviting us to bring everything to him. And he does this because he's our loving, heavenly father. And sometimes, you know, we may be concerned over these small things in our lives that a lot of people are telling us, this is just a molehill that you're making into a mountain. And so, a lot of times we, we feel like these small things we can't bring to God because he's so big, he's so high, and he's, he's in charge of everything. And so sometimes we may be looking at, at just the small things and we don't want to bother God with these small things. But last week, I was getting ready for work and I had a few minutes to spare and so I was getting on my shoes and just as I was getting ready to go out the door, my, my three-year-old son comes up to me and, and asks me to build him a house with his blocks. And so I could have said no. I could have... Uh, blown him off and, and left, but I took the extra time to help him build a house. I was delighted just to see this, my, my son uh, enjoy me spending time with him. And so after we built the house, he destroyed it, and it was great. But the idea here is that just as I took the busy time out of my life to spend the small thing with my son, God does that with us. God is our Heavenly Father, and, and 
God is not too busy for us. God is not too busy, nor is he too concerned with the small things in our lives. He, he cares about the small, ordinary things in our life as well as our basic needs. Again, notice what Ian Bounds says. He says, as believers, we have many callings. We fill roles as children, parents, spouses, and employees. We need to look to God for strength and sufficiency in all these areas of our lives. But what does it actually look like to look to God for, for strength and sufficiency? Again, we're buying into this idea that we are to be independent. But it all starts with an attitude of thankfulness. We first have to recognize what James says when he says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, with whom there is no variation or shadow of light. So everything that is good in our life is a direct uh, handout from, from our Heavenly Father. Our God who loves us, who knows us, who knows our needs, continually puts good things in our lives, not to boast our ego, but to grow our dependence on Him. And you see, be thankful. Just stop and be thankful for the big things that God has done in your life. That's where, that's where a dependence starts. It's recognizing just how much God has done in our lives. Think about uh, all of the times that you've come through difficult circumstances. The Lord was guiding you through that. And so dependence on, or effective prayers is dependent on God's provision. And so we see that that we we must be dependent on God for all things. But you see, Jesus isn't just interested in showing how we need to be dependent on God, but he shows us something very interesting about our prayers. He shows us that effective prayer is dependent on forgiving others. Let's look again at, at Matthew 6. And he says, And forgive us our debts. And the verse continues on, and, uh, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But there's something interesting here. There's two aspects to this petition. So the first is, forgive us our debts. And so the first thing that we need to recognize is that we need to pray for forgiveness and a forgiving spirit. But let's first look at the first aspect. We are to pray for forgiveness. The debts that Jesus is talking about is specifically about sin. And growing up, I had, I have nine siblings. And no, we aren't Mormon. No, we weren't Catholic. I get that a lot, so don't worry about that. Uh, but with, with lots of kids, there's lots of bickering. There's lots of fighting. There's lots of, of issues, sibling rivalry. We grew up going to the church. So I always enjoyed listening to the sermons on brotherly love and kindness and exposing sin in your life. Every time I was listening to those sermons, I was like, oh, I wish my brothers heard this sermon. But, you know, it never happened. And I always walked away thinking, what a bunch of jerks. You see, we can always look and easily see the sin in other people's lives, but not necessarily the sin in our own lives. So Jesus is pointing to the fact 
that we are to ask for forgiveness. And here's a reality. Every single person in this room is a sinner. We are sinful. As long as we are on this earth, we are all sinful. And the reality is, is because we're all sinful, we are going to be sinning every day. Well, we'll probably be even sinning every hour. There isn't a moment in our day where we can get down at the end of the day and like, oh, good, I didn't sin today. No, actually, I did. Whether it's a sin of pride, whether it's a sin of anger, there's, there's a lot of different areas of sin that we sin on a daily basis. But it's interesting to me that Jesus is telling us that we need to be dependent. Uh, we, need to, we need to ask for forgiveness immediately after we're asking for our need for our daily bread. So what Jesus is not saying is that he's not saying that every time we sin, we need to come back and we need to receive more salvation. But what Jesus is saying that because God offers us forgiveness through the cross of Christ and his completed work, we can be forgiven. And so we need to ask, continually ask for forgiveness. But it's one thing to pray for forgiveness. That one's honestly the easier aspect of this petition. But the focus isn't necessarily that we ask for forgiveness, which we should, but the importance of this text is that we need to ask for the Lord to help us with a forgiving spirit. This one's harder. But again, uh, this is where the focus of the petition is. But why, why do you think God cares if we forgive others? You see, when we refuse to show forgiveness to others, regardless of the pain that others have caused us, uh, that, that we are, in essence, rejecting the life-giving grace that God has given us. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Hmm. See, as the children of God, as the people of God, we are expected to forgive others. And, of course, this is the harder aspect of this petition. But notice what Jesus is saying. If we pray for our sins to be forgiven, but we don't uh, forgive others, if we come into the presence of God with angerness and bitterness and grudges against other people, Jesus is in some ways saying that our sins won't be forgiven. Our prayers will be hindered. And so there is the reality that our prayers can be hindered. You just even look back at 1 Peter 3, when, when Peter's talking about the wives respecting their, their husbands and lo- husbands loving their wives. And, and there's a clause in there that we sometimes neglect, that if husbands aren't truly loving their wives as, as they should, their prayers are, are hindered. There's a relational aspect with our prayers that if we are coming to the throne room of grace, we are not forgiving others. Our relationship with God is hindered. Not, not broken, but hindered. And in some ways, Jesus is teaching us that we are receiving God's forgiveness when we forgive others. Our relationship is, is being able to be restored when we are coming to God uh, with a clear heart Towards others. 
But here's something interesting. We forgive as a sign of spiritual growth and health. So it raises the question, who are we to forgive? Jesus doesn't tell us. We might expect, since we were looking at Matthew 5, 38 through 48 a couple weeks ago, we might expect, okay, I can forgive my enemy. The enemy is is an is easy one because it's given the context. But Jesus doesn't tell us who we're supposed to forgive. So the assumption is that we are supposed to forgive the person who cuts us off in traffic and they are uh, pointing their finger up into the sky. We're supposed to forgive the person who takes longer than they should in the grocery store. But, you know, we can look at... Re- any area of our lives, and there's always someone to forgive daily. There's someone who always wrongs us. There's someone who always hurts us. And Jesus is calling us to forgive everyone. So wives, forgive your husbands for leaving their socks on the floors. Debbie. Husbands, forgive your wives for nagging you to pick up your socks on the, from the floor. Bosses, forgive your employees for the mistakes that they make. Forgive them for for costing your company money and, and resources. Employees, forgive your coworkers for being rude. Forgive your bosses for being a jerk to you. Parents, Forgive your children for their sinful and disrespectful nature that they show you. Children, doesn't matter how old you are, forgive your parents for causing you to sin. Forgive your parents for the pain and the hurt. For those of you who've, who've been burned by other churches in the past, forgive them. If there's someone in this room today that that has wronged you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we're called to forgive. Now, I don't want to promise that you forgive someone and your relationship is going to be automatically restored. I don't want to promise you that that forgiving other people will result in, in all that pain and all that hurt just instantly going away. I'm not going to promise you that your life is going to be better because you are forgiving others. But what it does mean is that your heart will be right before our Heavenly Father. You see, here's the a, here's a truth. When we refuse to forgive others, we are refusing to see people the way that God sees them. We refuse to, to see people the way that God sees us. God, who is rich in mercy, while we were still enemies of Christ, sent Christ to die for us and to forgive us our sins. So when we are refusing to forgive others, we are refusing to show the grace that we've been shown in our lives. 
So effective prayer is dependent on forgiving others. And we see in the sixth and final petition that Jesus directs us to incorporate yet another aspect of of prayer into our lives. He calls us to pray for our Father's guidance and deliverance in regards to temptation and evil. Let's look again at the passage. Matthew 6.13 And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. So we see next that effective prayer is dependent on God's protection. Again, we first see the negative aspect of the petition, lead us not into temptation. And while we should definitely think of God as our Father who loves us, we should never think of him as leading us into temptation. This flies in the face of everything that we know about God, specifically in James 1 when it says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So I like how the the New Living Translation translates this phrase, and it says, don't let us yield to temptation. The reality is that that God is clear that he's not the one who leads us into temptation, but if we were to go down further in James, James tells us that we are, we fall into our own sin by our own desires, by our own sins, by our own, uh, by our own actions. We are the ones who go into sin, not God leading us into sin. So praying, lead us not into temptation, is praying that the Lord will not allow us to fall into sin. And surprisingly, temptation is not wrong. There's, there's nothing wrong bad for us when we are tempted. And we know this because in Matthew 4, Jesus was tempted three times by Satan. Jesus' own ministry was influenced by temptation. We also know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he was crucified, he was praying against the temptation to flee the cross. Temptation is not wrong, and it's actually natural to the human experience. But what is wrong is when we give in to temptation. <clears throat> so think about your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. How would it be different if you had that bottle for the first time, that bottle of alcohol, and you, were, you prayed, Lord, let me not fall into, into my sin? How would it be different if you were alone at night in your home, browsing Websites you shouldn't be browsing. And you're praying, Lord, protect me from falling into sin. How would your life be different if every time that you are tempted to lie, that you stop and you say, Lord, protect me from lying? Or, for us as parents, how would our lives be different if every time that we are annoyed by our children for the lovely things that they do, that we stop and we pray, Lord, Give me patience. Let me not fall into my anger. For me, this petition seems the most ridiculous. It, it seems the most ridiculous because I'm so, I should be so dependent on God that I'm asking for God to protect me. <clears throat> and <clears throat> even this week, as I was, as, as I was preparing the sermon, 
there were a couple instances this week where um, I found myself getting angry. I found myself getting annoyed by, uh, by some people. And, and the Holy Spirit, I just felt the Holy Spirit prompt me and say, you should pray for, for protection. And I, and I did. It felt weird. It felt awkward. But what I did find is that the Lord gave me an extra dose of grace and, and patience in working with these people. But we need to recognize that every moment of our lives is an opportunity to be tempted. And also, every moment of our lives is an opportunity to grow our faith in Christ. Proper prayer asks God to deliver us from overpowering temptations, recognizing that we are weak, recognizing that we are liable to fold under the pressures and the severe testing. So we need to pray for God's protection in all areas of our lives, as we can easily fall into any matters of the heart, as we've already looked at in in Matthew 6 and and Matthew 5. We can fall into into the area of our heart with anger, that Jesus said anger is an area of our hearts. We can fall into lust. We can fall into uh, not having true words. We can fall into retaliation. And then we're going to see in a couple weeks, we can even fall into our own greed. So these are just five areas of of the heart that we are all prone and liable to fall into and to fall away from our faith given the right set of circumstances. And so it creates a need for us to be dependent on God's protection. But there's also the positive aspect of this petition. And it's to pray for deliverance from Satan. Notice what he says. He says, but deliver us from evil. And as the children of God, we live in a broken and a fallen world. And really, we are fighting a spiritual battle that we can't see. As Paul tells the the Ephesians, that, that their battle was against not flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. And so for us today in the 21st century, we have that same enemy, and his name is Satan. Everything that, that we are doing to, to build the kingdom of God in Yakima is going to be opposed. And so Satan is a real being who seeks to destroy And he is our enemy. Let's see what Peter says. He says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And this imagery is quite disturbing. It's not, it doesn't give us warm fuzzies. But Satan is a real person, and his goal is to bring destruction to humanity. But specifically, his goal is to destroy Christians. So we need to be praying and dependent on God for deliverance from Satan. But here's the thing. Proper prayer acknowledges the power of Satan, but focuses on the greater power of Christ. You see, we, we should be encouraged because while Satan is powerful, while Satan is a roaring lion, he's not as powerful as our God, as our Heavenly Father. See, God has the power and the ability to not only protect, but he has the power to save us from our sins. So our God is greater than Satan and his weapons, but it's still important for us to pray for protection. 
And here's, here's the beautiful thing. Even when we do fall into our sin, God is still our loving Father. So why does that, why does that matter? What does that mean for us? You see, the thing is, is God, as our Heavenly Father, He doesn't leave us alone in our sin. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us. That, yes, we, we screw up, but God's grace is sufficient for us. And this is why we need to be dependent on God in all things. And as we saw with the other two petitions, this pivotal in our spiritual health and, and, and well-being, this petition, the, the prayer for deliverance and, and prayer for dependence on God and, and protection, uh, is also beneficial for our spiritual health and, and well-being. But praying to protect us from evil and deliver us from evil is displaying our complete dependence and total dependence on God. So effective prayer is dependent on God's protection. So where do we go from here? You see, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer for the last two weeks, and all six petitions are vital to us understanding who God is. They're also essential to the growth of our character, and they're essential to the growth of our faith. You see, we learn through prayer that as children of God, that we have the right and the privilege to pray to God, not just in certain times of the day, but any time of the day. And I will be the first to admit, I don't always acknowledge God as Father. I don't always acknowledge God as holy and to be revered. I don't always pray your will be done. I don't always pursue the kingdom of God because those are, those are scary to me. I don't always pray, Lord, give me what I need today. I don't always pray for my sins to be forgiven and I don't, certainly don't always pray to forgive others. The Lord would give me grace to forgive others. And I also don't always pray for protection. And see, the thing is, is that we are all in this together. We, are all, we all fail in our prayer lives in some, to some extent, but here's the beautiful thing, is that regardless of, of how little or how much we pray, God is still our loving Heavenly Father. That He invites us to come to Him at any time, he invites us to come in the midst of our sin and he gives us grace and he shows us his love. You see, last week Pastor Kevin said this. He said, prayer is the key to contentment and joy. But how do we know that's true? Paul tells us the same thing in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the entire Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Lord's Prayer, teaches us not only how to pray, we've been given this model of prayer, but it teaches us that God delights in our prayers. That our Heavenly Father loves us, that our Heavenly Father wants us to come to him for all things. And I love what John Bunyan says. He says, prayer opens the heart to God 
And it is the means by which the soul, though empty, is filled with God. You see, we have the means and the opportunity to communicate ourselves to God daily, moment by moment. God is never too busy to hear us. And here's, here's the beautiful thing about us coming to the sovereign, omniscient God, God, all-knowing God, is that he knows us. He knows our darkest secrets. He knows our hearts. And yet he still calls us his children. See, God invites us to come to him. doesn't matter how sinful we are. doesn't matter how broken we are. doesn't matter what we've said. doesn't matter what we've done. That God always opens his arms to us as, his, as our loving father. So God, or Christ, invites us to bring all of ourselves, all of our brokenness, all of our joys, all of our delights to God with boldness and confidence into the throne room of So how can we actually be prayerful people? I understand that we are all busy. We all have things going on during the week. And some of us are consistently running hundreds of directions every day. We have a hundred things going on. And sometimes, to be quite frank, prayer is sometimes the last thing we think about. We lay our heads on our pillows and we're like, oh, shoot, forgot to pray today. And so in our falling asleep state, we may shoot out a, a quick prayer to God. But I think one of the, for those of us who are busy, I think a great way to redeem our time is to look at our commute. Some of us drive five minutes to work. Some of us drive 20 minutes. Some of us drive longer than that. Turn off the radio. Turn off... Turn off anything that you're listening to and spend that time in prayer. Just praying to God, our Heavenly Father. But we also uh, look at that time as just including God in our plans, including God uh, for what we, just letting him know what we need. And just looking to use that time to be focusing on, on being dependent on God. But, you know, maybe another option would be to make a choice to pray with our children as we're putting them down. Some of us have children. This is a great opportunity to spend that time with your children and just praying with them, teaching them how to pray. And obviously the irony is that we sometimes don't know how to pray ourselves. Or even when your spouse is, when you and your spouse are going to bed, take five to ten minutes and just pray as a couple. Pray over your needs, pray over what you are concerned about. If you're wanting to find a prayer group, find people here in this room that you can create a prayer group. There's always people who are interested in in praying with each other. Another thing that you can do is is pick a psalm. You start Psalm 1. Read it and pray over it. There's some people here who, who do that on a daily basis. But some of you may be even asking, okay, that's great. You're giving me uh, times to pray, but how do I actually pray? We have the template of the Lord's Prayer here. 
And this is what you know, we see, that we can worship the Lord as the first petition. Do you have that slide, Zach? Oh, there we go. So worship the Lord. Seek his kingdom. Pursue his will. Rely on his providence. Confess and forgive others. And pray for his protection. So if you don't know what to pray, that's a template right there that you can take and you can, and you can spend time praying this template, the Lord's Prayer, anywhere, anytime. And so we have this, this, this model to pray. So as we look at just the multiple possibilities of, of how we can be prayer, prayerful people, there are innumerable ways in which we can become more uh, dedicated to prayer. Know that we are all in this together. There's not a single person in here who's perfect. There's not a single person in here who has everything figured out. And, but we all rely on God's grace. We all rely on, our, on the love from our Heavenly Father. So as we leave here today, let's be reminded of the fact that effective prayer recognizes who God is, seeks his will, and is dependent and, and displays our, dispen- our dependence on him. Let's pray.